I was losing my W-2, wanted to stay lendable. So I, I started the franchise um, and it's been going great. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Vince Agathens. Vince, how are you doing today? Good, Todd. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, enjoyed our little talk that we just had uh, prior to hit and record here, and it definitely got my my juice is going for the day and um, wheel spinning. So I'm excited for whatever we get into on this, on this show. Yeah. I mean, there's look, there's a lot to cover it, it right now, or I think our economy is in a kind of a discovery phase, right? I mean, it's, it's definitely different than it was six months ago, 12 months ago, real estate. Uh, what you and I do is just, in this kind of discovery mode. So yeah, we'll, we'll for sure dive in a little bit about Vince. He's got over 600 units, uh, assets under management, uh, multi-territory franchise owner. Uh, and he was, uh, he was a, uh, resource advisor for the U S air force drafted and managed operational funds and projects for, a uh, $1.4 billion enterprise. And, uh, yeah, military background, um, and now multifamily and, and franchise guys. So Vince, again, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit more about your background, and then we can dive in. Yeah, absolutely. So um, remind me, I got to update my LinkedIn. So anybody listening, go back to your <laughs> LinkedIn and update it. Yeah, uh, It's probably a little outdated. But uh, yeah, so I came from the military. Um my last job was a, a career advisor or the resource advisor. And then I moved into career advisor, but essentially what that is, is it's a, the military's version of a uh, guidance counselor slash professional development coach. So perfect mm. kind of for my personality, helping people find the, the best of themselves and find their strengths and um, doing that personal professional uh, education. And that was a special duty. Um, and then that was ending. And uh, they said I have to go back to my previous career field because uh, you can only do special duties for so long. And my previous career field was aircraft maintenance, which is it, it's fun when I was when I was younger, lots of travel in the world and yeah. uh, getting into trouble um, in different countries and, and things like that. And it was a lot of fun. Um, but then now, I'm, you know, married, got three kids and I'm not <laughs> looking to be gone, you know, 100, 150 days yeah. uh, a year. And they were like, well, that's kind of how the military works. So you, you do the special duty and you got to go back to your career field. And I was at 15 years and I ended up, um, you know, pulling chocks and, and getting out at 15 years, uh, gave up, you know, the, anybody who knows the military, you know, you give up the pension to do that. Uh, so the 20 year pension and benefits for life, um, to get you out. You weren't very far from being able to hit that. Yeah. So I was four, four years and change away from the pension, but, uh, I looked at, it, I had to kind of sit down with the wife and kind of figure out what you know, what makes me happy, what's right for the family. And then um, everything from there. But, you know, luckily I had already started real estate investing about five years prior. So the decision that I had to make was a lot less uh, intense than a lot of other people, because I already had, you know, this real estate portfolio to provide for my family. So it wasn't, I wasn't putting the family in, you know, financial distress. It was more of a, uh, more of just kind of like a, breakup of a marriage type thing almost you know the military has been my entire adult life uh and then you know leaving that to go full in and 
I essentially, uh, you know, burn the, uh, burn the ships type of, uh, decision. Um, cause there really isn't going back. There's no, uh, well, I'll test it out for six months. And if I don't like it, I'll go back to the military. There is no, that doesn't happen. Right. So, um, at least doesn't happen very often when you're, you know, my age. So it was a burn the ships moment and I had to make the decision and jump all into the real estate and, uh, my own businesses. And that was last year in 2021, uh, when I fully separated and we went all into the to real estate and then my, my franchise. So that is where I've been doing the last, uh, last two years. So when, <clears throat> when you said, Hey, this is it, I'm done at that time, how many units did you, did you have? I think we had uh, around 400 at that okay. time. So you already, you already were pretty well established in with, uh, with the real estate. Um, and did you have the franchise going on at the same time? No, I didn't. And that, that brings up a, a great um, kind of point to make anybody that's looking to get into this. So the decision, a uh, great lesson, hopefully this saves somebody is I thought I was doing great. You know, I had the 400 units. Some of it was my own portfolio. Some of it was the syndicated portfolio. So, but the, the blended between them, I was, I was pretty good as far as cash flow goes for my family. I sit down with my banker and say, Hey, this is my plan for the next year. I'm going to be getting out of the military, uh, moving back to Michigan and, you know, kind of regrouping and building out the real estate companies. Like that's great. But just to let you know, you're probably not going to be uh, lendable for a couple of years. And I was like, what do you mean? I make all this money on the real estate stuff. He's like, mm. he's like, that's great, but that's all uh, passive. And um, we're going to discount the hell out of that when we go to underwriting because, you know, bankers and credit unions, normally don't like passive income um, at your community bank level. Um, so they're going to discount it if they accept it at all. Um, so he was like, you're probably not going to be lendable for about three years until you establish, you know, your new, a, a new company and get a couple tax returns under your belt, things yeah, like that. Right. So that was a huge eye opener because I thought I was doing great. Um, Cause you know, the cash flow was King. I had the cash flow coming in, but if I want to go get like a car, uh, I'm not, or, you know, a car and a car loan, I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm not going to have that. Or if I go get my own personal house, that actually the house I'm sitting in right now was kind of the eye opener because I actually got denied the first uh, the first time I went to go get this house because they were seeing my W two income was going away. Yep. And even though I had you know three four x you know debt to income, they're like, well, you're losing your W two. So yeah, no. Uh, it's a, it's a rude awakening when you. It, it really was, and that was. Yeah. For me, like I figured it out while I was doing it, you know, I was yeah. like, oh crap, what, what do you mean? I can't qualify making way more money now than I ever used to. Exactly. Matter. <laughs> no, yeah. So that was like, exactly. It was a rude uh, awakening. So I was like, holy crap. So I still had about six months left in my contract to solve this problem um, in the military. Uh, so that's where the franchise comes in. So my friend Duran and now partner, uh, he's a friend at the time. Now he became a partner of Tri-City and he has... Uh, his company, Band of Brothers, which is um, his kind of investment group, and they own Anytime Fitness Gyms, and he has like eight of them, mm. and and he's cranking these things out. So he, that's when I got to him. I was like, hey, this, and he was active duty military too. So he kind of solved this problem about five years ahead of me. Um, so he's like, this is what you should do. You know, start a franchise. You know, then you can become you know the president. Write yourself a W two out of that, and boom, now you have pay stubs. Um, so that is where this comes from. Um, Speaking of LinkedIn again, a guy from LinkedIn 
reached out for me, a franchise consultant, kind of around the same time saying he helps transitioning veterans. I guess I showed up on some list because he ended up seeing that I was uh, transitioning out. So a franchise consultant reached out, said, this is what I do. I help veterans get into franchises. Um, and so I went with him, jumped on a call and said, this is what I'm interested in. I don't want anything to do with food service, anything to do with uh, retail type, um, like clothing or anything like that. Um, I'm into real estate. So I want something that kind of complements real estate, maybe home services, something that low overhead, something that's easy to scale. Um, and uh, something that's looking to grow in Michigan because that's where I'm, I'm going for. So he, he kind of took those marching orders, gave me back a list of about 10, 15 options. And we started what's called discovery. So it's like a two-way interview with each of the, the companies, um, the franchise opportunities. And I ended up going with this one. It was an insulation company, uh, surprisingly Koal Insulation. And uh, they kind of checked all the boxes. I like their, their, their values. I like that they're growing. I like that they're, it's a young company. Um, and I ended up going with them, uh, closing on them early 2021. Uh, we, we opened up in Q3 of 2021. So we actually just finished our first full year of operation. But that is kind of how I solved that problem was I was losing my W-2, wanted to stay lendable. So I, I started the franchise um, and it's been going great. Oh, the other thing about franchises is you have to let uh, you have to ask if um, they allow for absentee owners because there's a lot of franchises that don't allow absentee oh, ownership. Sure. It's owner operator. And if I'm running my real estate company and they want to be owner operator, that's like, you know, the perfect example that everybody probably knows like Chick-fil-A where it's like, you're an owner operator. Like you're back there sweeping and flipping the the chicken, like, you know, everybody else uh, that's, you know, the kind of Chick-fil-A model or me, it's like, I want to owner opera. Uh, I want an absentee owner where I can hire yeah. and operations manager day one. And they allowed for that. So that's why uh, a big reason why I went with them, you know, compliments my, uh, my real estate because home services. So now I'm in the circles with the contractors, the builders, you know, and, and obviously that's helping my real estate company grow. Cause I get, I get good leads on, you know, properties and owners and things like that. So hmm. um, that is how I solve that. And now we're a year into that plan and it's been going, uh, it's been going great. So would, would you do that again? Then the franchise, like, is that something that is that so is far a, so far it's been question. good? Yeah. So, uh, great question. And it's here is my take. Knowing what I know now, I would not buy another franchise. Uh, I would probably go find a mom and pop. Um, probably some guy that is maybe. I think a perfect scenario would be some guy that's sixty years old. He's an HVAC guy. He's been doing it for 40 years and has three daughters and he already put them all through law school. And he's like, my wife's stabbing me in the side to move to Florida. And I'm like, that's great. You know, Jeff, I'll go, but let me, let me buy you out and retire you and take your book of business, your, your expert craftsmen that you, that have worked for you for the last 25 years. I'll keep all of them on board and I will give you a great multiple or whatever, maybe some seller financing. I'll keep you, keep your cash flow coming for you. I think that would be the ideal scenario, knowing what I know now. I think franchises are really good because they you're buying a proven system. And if you don't, if you've never done an MA or bought a business or built a business, that helps having like those training wheels on on. Um, because they're gonna they want you to succeed. So they're gonna be, you know, making sure, you know, throughout that, especially the first couple of quarters, that you're doing your marketing right, you're doing your books right and everything like that. 
Um, but that, yeah, those royalty fees, they, sometimes they sneak up on you and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. so I, I love the franchise. I love the opportunity with, with Koala, especially, um, definitely love that company. Um, and if you've never done any kind of business before, I think a franchise is a, is a great way to get into it. Yeah. Knowing what I know now, I have no problem going out to my local contractor, you know, association, you know, um, dinners and mixers and things like that and asking who's looking to retire and, uh, striking up some, some deals. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think, I mean, I've talked to a decent amount of franchise owners. A lot of them, uh, have a lot of really the same or very similar opinion as what you just said right there. Like, Hey, it worked. I, I don't regret that I did it, but if I were to do it again, I would do it a little bit differently. I would either start it on my own. I'd buy some, just like you said, buy a mom and pa, you know, that type of thing. But like you said, all the business systems, like the systems are there. Uh, if they've got a good brand name, especially in, in, especially in that region or people recognize it. I mean, the name, name recognition is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you think about restaurants you go to, and if you're on a road trip and you're quick and you want to get something quick, you're probably going to stop by the McDonald's or the Taco John's or the, you know, Chick-fil-A or something that you name recognition, right? It's just quick. We're in, we're out. We know what we're going to get every single time and we're just moving on, right? Maybe if it's a sit down restaurant, a little bit different, but even then a lot of people would rather, my parents would rather go to Applebee's than, you know, Jim's cafe. Um, Yeah. Not me. And there's always the, uh, you know, the future of the exit, right? So if you're, yeah. if you're going to exit this thing, you got to sell to somebody, are they going to buy a nationally recognized brand with a huge uh, headquarters backing corporate backing? Um, I feel like the exit might be a little bit easier yep. uh, if I were to sell this place. So talk to me about uh, real estate, doing real estate while you're active duty uh, in the military. And, you know, just, I'm sure, a lot of people, I know, I know a lot of people have, have, you know, busy jobs and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, obviously you were busy during that time. So how, how did you get into it? And, you know, just maybe some of the lessons you learned navigating through, you know, having a career while also, and family while also mm-hmm. building your real estate company. Yeah. So the balance, I'm probably the worst person to ask for any kind of like work-life balance, but I can tell you kind of how I did it. And then the, uh, the kind of lessons I've learned. So when I first started, I was stationed in Travis Air Force Base, California. Um, and it was like 2015 ish is when I first started buying real estate and I was stationed there. And the first decision I make was I made was, do I want to invest locally in my backyard or do I want to go to a market at the time? Uh, I thought California was kind of overpriced um, and, you know, knowing what I know now, I probably would have bought a lot more there, but um, that's the decision maker. I said, well, you know, where's my competitive advantage? So I had the advantage of my wife's family being from this area, the area that I moved to in here in Michigan, and they've been here for decades and decades and decades. So they know all the good areas, all the bad areas. And I was like, okay, that's my competitive advantage. Um, Rather than trying to learn this California market that I could be get orders next year and I could leave. Um, And then I have these random properties in California, which I'll never probably go back to. I I thought the best thing to do is find some, like find like an anchor 
in uh, an area where I have a competitive advantage. And that ended up being Michigan, even though Michigan itself is not that great of a market. It's pretty flat on population growth um, and job growth and income growth and things like that. But my competitive advantage kind of superseded that in my eyes. Um, So that's what I did is I went to where the deals were and I had my uh, my wife's family kind of scout them out for me. I'd go find them and like, Hey, go drive by, by this place. Let me know what you think. And that's kind of how I bought my first, uh, five or six properties, uh, Single being, families, duplexes. What would you, they, like? they were four, uh, fourplexes and duplexes. I went, okay. were my first properties. Um, so at the time, pretty much all I had at my disposal for knowledge was like uh bigger pockets, Brandon Turner's books, uh, yep. and, and that he really focused on, you know, the duplex fourplexes and stuff, uh, back then. So that's pretty much all I had. And, you know, people listening, it's like, oh, do I got to go out and spend, you know, $20,000 or $30,000 for some kind of coaching program to get into real estate? Like I bought, you know, the books are right, right there. That's the, that's the actual book right there. So I read that book right there and bought 20. What book are you pointing out? That's the Brandon Turner's, uh, the book on uh, rental property investing. So like his first book. Yep. Right. So like that book right there, I read that and bought 20 units. Um, okay. and like, that's all I had. That's the only thing I knew was bigger pockets and that book. And then, uh, after that, and I was like, you know, then you run out of money cause you invested it all. And then now you got to manage stuff. Now you're like, okay, now I got to go out and figure out how to get more money to buy more deals. And, and how do I buy a, you know, these are duplex fourplexes on MLS versus how do I go buy that 10 unit off market down the road? You know, that's where you have to go out and, you know, get more education stuff like that. But for anybody that's looking to get started, that's literally at 350 pages, about 20 units. Yeah. Um, so that is kind of where I uh, started at was Michigan, 20 units. And then after that, that's when I was like, I need to scale. Um, you know, I saw other people in, in my network, like they, then they started buying like 50 units and 100 units. And I was like, how are they doing this? Because they're the same age as me. I know they're not making that much money. So how much, how are they buying 100 unit apartment buildings, 50 units apartment? So that's when I was like, there's a whole there's a whole nother, you know, world to this thing. Let me go figure that out. So again, hit the books again, learn about things like joint venture syndications, go back to the education spent most of 2020 trying to figure out, uh, or 2019, uh, trying to figure out the, uh, uh, education side of it or 2018, sorry, 2018, figure out the education of the larger multifamily. And at the end of 2018 into 2019, I got our first, um, 52 unit under contract as a JV in Michigan. And uh, once we got the taste of that, you know, I got, uh, you know, our first apartment complex, that was, it was off to the races um, after that. So then we went from JV, that first deal to, then we started going into syndications and things like that. 2019 was our first syndication. And then we've been mainly doing syndications and JVs since under, under Tri-City. Nice. Love it. Love it. Um. So you guys have been, have you been buying in 2022 and are you still, I guess, where are you at right, right now today? Are you, are you still wanting to buy, looking to buy, you know, the market, as we talked about the very beginning market is kind of shifting. The sand is shifting through our, through our feet right now. What's your philosophy and thought? So at the end of 2021, we, uh, I'm a big fan of like EOS and traction and things like that. So we were out in Hawaii, um, and we're kind of going over our portfolio. I think at the time, at the end of 2020, I think we had 12 assets in our portfolio. We, we disposed of a couple, but 
you know, we're trying to figure out, okay, what's our plan for 2022. Um, and that was a big shift. Cause it's like, we went over what assets performed well through COVID, what ones gave us the least amount of headache, um, the least amount of stress and what ones gave us like the best kind of ROI. And we kind of put everything out there, kind of dissected, um, you know, asked ourselves a bunch kind of going down those, uh, those avenues there. And what we really found out, um, for us and our group of where we were as investors and kind of our maturity level as investors, what our appetite was and things like that is the, the C-class properties, um, gave us the biggest headaches in, uh, in COVID. They were, they were the toughest ones to manage. They were the toughest ones to keep, uh, the economic occupancy high, um, during COVID where we had our B class ones where, which initially were like the, you know, we, we had the B class property, like, okay, we're going to buy this. We're going to hold it for 10 years and, you know, low maintenance, low return kind of thing, like kind of more of like an equity yep. preservation kind of play. And those things ended up being like the shining star of our portfolio in, in 2020, 2021. And we're like, okay, you know, this property here gave us no problems. We increased rents 15, 20%. Everybody still stayed, everybody paid everybody's happy uh, versus like the C-class one, which is like, you know, we're going to do that, that three-year double um, on our money, like the big value I pay. It's like everybody stopped paying rent and like all this stuff, not everybody, but enough people stopped paying rent to give us stress and, you know, having contingency plans and stuff like that as we managed through COVID and all the, the eviction moratoriums and everything like that. Like we didn't have any of that on the B-class. It was pretty much all on the C-class. Yep. So when we looked at, okay, at the end of 2020, what, what do we want more of? Um, and not knowing where the market's going and going into 2022, we decided that we want to start shedding our C-class deals um, through attrition as the business cycle kind of cycles out um, and then buying more uh, B-class uh, properties. Um, so that is where, and, and, you know, still keep our growing kind of emerging markets um, like, the DFWs and things like that, um, some belt type areas. We we didn't really change that. It's just what type of asset we're going to go after. Uh, so that was kind of the big shift we did in 2022. It's it's funny. I got to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I had that very same kind of discovery, probably maybe a year uh, ahead of you, but definitely COVID made me reaffirm. Yeah, uh, that same exact. It was exactly the same. Our C-class properties struggled. The residents just had a tough time paying rent. They didn't pay rent. They took advantage of the situation, Mm -hmm. whatever it was. But we had a high level of economic vacancy and just not nearly as good a performance as our A and B-class areas. And it's funny because a lot of people are like, hey, buy C-class because through a recession, B's moved down to C and blah, blah, blah. And C's got nowhere else to go. I think that's total BS. I think B stays in a B-class and they figure out how to stay there. And C-class, well, they don't have enough funds and they're usually the first ones to get laid off because C-class is typically service and service industry always goes up and down with the economy very quickly. So yeah, we had that same, I had the same discovery, like I said, about a year before you, but very much affirmed during that COVID time where we're just like, man, these things are high stress. We got to get rid of them. And we have to just stick 
solid A and B class properties. Yeah. And it's, um, and I'm not saying like to, to, if somebody were like starting now, like don't even look at C's, like you can make money in C's, but you can make money. Like you can flip them. And that's like, I say like, you know, I'm under contract on a 40 unit C class property right now. And, but I'm not, I'm, there's no business plan where I plan on keeping this thing. It's like, I got it such a low basis that I'm going to probably six months to a year and I'm out of this thing. And then yep. take all that and put it in a nice B class property. Yep. Um, but it's, you know, what we're, you know, that was, you know, kind of like a one-off off market deal, but well, what Tri City is looking look, for is definitely the B class stuff. Yeah. Like you said, you can make money on them. They're going to be a lot higher stress. They're going to have a lot yeah. higher in my opinion, you just have a lot more risk. And that's yes. and that's why typically your cap rate on those are going to be much higher. Now, that's the funny thing is recently, you know, during this kind of run-up, cap rates between A and C, there was almost very, I mean, there was almost no margin there. Yep. That, man, why not buy an A or a B if you're going to have, you're going to be buying at the same cap rate because you should be getting a better price based on your risk. You, you just should. C-class is just higher risk. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the last couple of years, people have been, you know, buying, you know, based off pro forma on, on the C-class. So you're, you know, you're already behind the curve just because you're buying on pro forma. But yeah, yeah that is, uh, that's kind of the big thing that we, we've, you know, transitioned through 2022. So the last couple acquisitions have been, you know, much nicer product, much newer product. Um, Still value add, or are you guys buying stuff already? No, we're, we're still, we're still doing value add, but it's nowhere near, like, we're not doing full gut renovations like we are doing on the C-class um, yeah. or like, you know, light cosmetic stuff um, really focusing on like amenities. So a lot of, you know, a lot of the B-class stuff where it's like maybe 2000s, um, early 2000s builds, but they didn't put any like amenities in. Yeah. So like easy stuff like dog park, playgrounds, you know, barbecue areas, stuff like that. And then in the interior units, all we really have to do is, um, you know, you're just doing the easy stuff, paint fixtures and, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. You're not trying to figure out how to put washer and dryers and closets and stuff like yeah. that, you know? Um, so that, that's kind of what we did in 2022 going into 2023. Uh, you asked like, are we still looking? Absolutely. We're still underwriting. We probably still do 10 deals a, a week uh, that we're, we're looking at, we're screening. Um, and we're just adjusting our underwriting to the current market conditions, the current lending conditions. Uh, and we we're we're buying, um, and we haven't really gotten anything. One thing that has changed really over the last quarter is um, I don't really feel any kind of certain way about submitting low offers anymore. Um, like before, you know, you're not nervous like, about it. You, you mean you got, yeah, you got, you got to get nervous how it's going to affect kind of the relationship between the broker and everything that throwing in low, low, low ball offers. Like, are they going to cut me off if, you know, take yeah. me out of their kind of their pocket listing. Now it's just like, yeah, yeah. I'm like 20 grand lower per door. Um, but this is where it works. And they're like, okay, I understand. Like it's that mindset of how the interaction uh, of the LOIs and everything process is completely shifted over the last quarter. So and I, I think you have to stay on top. Like to me, uh, the pencils, I've never understood the pencils down uh, mentality. And because I think you have to maintain those relationships with the brokers and the brokers have to understand that you're still wanting to buy and just mm -hmm. your pricing expectation is just different. So yeah, I'm still a buyer, but we're a buyer down here, not up there. Um, you know, that pencils down mentality says we're not a buyer. We're just not a buyer. 
I don't, I don't understand yeah. that because I don't know how that builds relationships. Yeah. You know, the brokers got to eat too, right? So they're going to, you know, hopefully they would remember, you know, who fed them through the the rough times. Um, and, and another, like, even at like, so interest rates are whatever sevens and stuff like that. Now, if I buy a deal and it pencils out at a seven yeah. and I get maybe a floating rate with a cap on it um, for debt, uh, five years or whatever, um, interest only floating with, uh, with a rate cap on it, you know, and I, if I buy it at, if it pencils out at a seven uh, interest rate, rates go down, maybe back to a five or something like that. in in two years, like that deal is just going to explode. Um, so that's kind of my, my mentality of it too. Um, so, yeah, no, I agree. Um, so what's, um, uh, what's a mistake that you've made? How have you learned from it? The biggest mistakes, um, that I have made first one that comes to mind is probably teams. Um, a lot of people have, especially if they're new to this, I don't know, like if they come from, you know, different type of background and they're not just coming up through the, uh, the investment world is like that, I guess that insecurity of their ability to pull this off on their own. And a lot of people, what they do is they try to compensate their insecurities by getting other people on their team to help like take on the risk or like, I don't know, reassure them or something like that. So rather than trying to like, um, and they end up giving a lot of equity. So a lot of, you know, the insecurities of people starting in real estate, you know, usually cause them to, you know, get team members that they probably wouldn't have normally have gotten. So the mistake that I made is uh, probably partner with people that I shouldn't have partnered with. If I was just a little bit more patient, a little bit more, um, had a little bit more confidence in myself. Uh, because what happens is you, you, you form a team and you're like, okay, you know, we're going to go do this thing and you go buy, you know, buy some property. And then six months later, you, you realize that like, you're the only one showing up yep. Um, yep. and, or, or whatever. And it's like that resentment comes and it's not like you can, it's not an easy breakup. You're millions of dollars of debt, you know, with each other. Right. Uh, so it's like, you know, that, 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 that's probably one of the biggest uh, mistake is jumping in and forming teams uh, just to get a deal done. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I see that, that so many, um, you know, I'm a coach in a, in, a, in a real estate group and that's probably the biggest thing that I am constantly doing. Cause you get to get these people and they get so excited. They're like, I need to get that first deal. And they're like, I met this guy at a meetup and I met her at, you know, this other thing. And I mean, we're going to go buy this hundred unit together. I'm like, what do you know about them? Like, what do you know about their goals, their, their aspirations, their core values? Like, what do you know about their history? And they're like, I don't know anything. Like, I know they got, you know, quarter million dollars to place. And we're going to go JV the steel. I'm like, that's, that's a bad idea. Like, like you should at least, like, it's definitely the courting process uh, to figure out who you should have on your teams. And a lot of that's that internal reflection of like a SWOT analysis. Like, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my values? What are my goals? What are my timelines? Um, and then, you know, find other people that compensate your weaknesses, have similar goals, similar values, similar life experiences. So you kind of know how they're going to, um, you know, handle under uh, stress and things like that. Um, and their decision-making process. And a lot of people don't do that. Um, so that's kind of one of the big ones I harp on of mistakes I've made, yeah. um, that I try not to do anymore. Your reputation is who you're doing business with. It, mm -hmm. it really is. And so if you partner with somebody that has a bad reputation or makes some bad choices to get a bad reputation, that's your reputation as well. 
because yeah. they're partnered with you. And so it's, it's everything you said. It's, it's the reputation. It's, it's just, yeah, I, I agree with you. So many people want to get started in this business and the way to get started is to partner with other people. And I think it's a fantastic way, by the way, I, I don't mm -hmm. want to tell anybody not to do it. I think it's an amazing way to partner with people, but make sure you're partnering with the right people. Like you said, make sure they have the same ethics and values. Make sure they have the same goals. Uh, did, do you know their background? Do you, do you really know their background? Do you know that you can trust them? Um, you know, are they going to do business the way you want to do business? You know, all that kind of stuff. What are their goals? All that. And so you want to make sure you get in, into business with the right people. I mean, you're, you're truly entering a, a, a you know, like a mini marriage with these mm -hmm. people. So you know, a good example of that, you know, outside of like the, the values and ethics of it, it's like, you know, just the timelines too. So if my goal was, and this is the pretty much the exact example happened to me, right? So if, if my goal was, I want a thousand units in five years, um, and my partner wants, you know, they'd be happy with, you know, 40 units in 10 years, you know, who do you think is going to be totally grinding harder? You know, we closed that first deal and they're like, all right, I'm off to, you know, the beach. And I'm like, we got to close like three more deals this year just to kind of stay on track. And I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm grinding, I'm hustling and, um, you know, flying here, flying there, meeting brokers. And they're like at the beach, like, you know, I'm on track to hit my goal. And uh, so, they're, you know, the, the work ethic is, uh, you know, commensurate with their goals. So if, yeah. if you're, I have two different goal sets of, you know, and timelines to hit those goals, the work ethic is going to be a reflection of that. So that was a, my the exact mistake I, I ran into. Yep. And you can sit there and you can bitch and complain about it. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, that was my fault. Like I picked the wrong partner because that's ultimately what it is. It's you chose the wrong person to be your partner. They didn't have the same mindset as you. And of course they're going to be at the beach because they already hit their goals. Mm -hmm. Their goal was 40 units and man, they wanted to do it in 10 years. They did it in, in uh, three months. Yep. So they got nothing else to do. <laughs> For, yeah. for the next 10 years, 10 years later, you might see them again. Cause they, maybe they want 40 more units, but you know, um, what's a, what's a military habit lesson, something that you learned in the military that you still use today, or maybe it's, maybe it's two or three, or maybe you got five things or whatever it is, but what's a military habit lesson that you learned that you use? I, I think a good one is, uh, for me, um, would probably be the ability to be comfortable with risk and managing risk. Um, you know, a lot of, and, and I was in the air force. I'm not like, you know, like, you know, in the shit, like seals or anything like that, like that, you know, they get way more training, but I think, you know, air force, uh, being around planes and being around the, those type of operations and, uh, things that we've done, um, was you're never going to have like a hundred percent plan. And there's a lot of people that need to have like every detail yeah. of a plan, figured out for them. They get that analysis paralysis. Yeah. And in the military, it's like, you know, you're never going to know. There's so many moving parts in an operation that you're never going to know what is is that. So you like, you kind of plan, but the second that, that um, you know, that operation kicks off, like your plan is almost useless. Like the plan was a good exercise, but it's like, now you're just going off of, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it's there. So the big thing that I probably took away that I use the most is being able to take risks with the information that I have now. So if I have a 70% plan, like I'm 70% sure that this is how this deal is going to go or this transaction or this business plan is going to go. And that 30%, I'm just going to have to roll with the punches. And a lot of people, like they they can't 
do that. They, 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 or they won't or whatever word you want to use. Um, they're like, it needs to be more. And I'm like, 70% is good enough. Um, or it's 80% and I'm confident in my abilities to handle whatever throws that extra 20% throws at me and manage the risk and manage what gets thrown at me. Um, and just keep moving forward and, and keep, you know, calm in the storm and clear headed. And as those curveballs hit, you know, yeah. just, just roll with them. And COVID was a good example of that. Um, and just any other business plan, really, like you're never going to know exactly. It gets never, your pro forma is never going to happen exactly the way you planned it um, yeah. or your business plan. So that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, being okay with that, the unknowns and just keep moving forward and roll with the punches. Yeah. As they come. Everybody has a plan until you, they get punched in the mouth. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, that's great. I think the, uh, so true. You have to be able to manage risk. You're going to have risk. Huh? If you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to own real estate, if you're going to own a franchise, if you're going to own anything, you're, you are going, you've got risks and you have to be able to manage them and things change daily, hourly minute, you know, like you said, like during COVID, I mean, who, you got thrown so many curveballs. You had to be prepared for it, but you can only be so prepared. You can only have so much of a plan. You have to work with what the hand you're given, right? You have to take whatever's dealt to you and go, okay, how can I make the best out of this? And how can I push forward? How can I move on? How can I pivot? We got to pivot all the time and you just have to be willing to do it. And if you're not, you don't even start, right? So... Cool. Um, all right, let's wrap up here. What's a, what's a favorite book that you can pass down to our listeners? I think the, my, my favorite book, I mean, the book that's made me the most money, let's do that one. The book that has made me the most money, like not even close, there's not even a close second. It's probably never split the difference. Mm. Um, I know it's an old one. I know that everybody probably has said that over the years, but when I look at like dollar for dollar, you know, what book, like even, even on that 40 unit that I was just talking about. And, um, you know, even though I'm under contract, this probably won't air until after I'm closed anyway. So I'm good, but I wrote three sentences and got the, got the, uh, seller down a hundred grand, three sentences, you know, 10 minutes worth of work using, you know, his, uh, Chris Foss's kind of tricks in there and, and things like that. And there wasn't even a back and forth. He was like, okay, you know, that that's, that's agreeable. Um, and so I think pound for pound, never split the difference. It's not like a, a read and put on the shelf. It's like a textbook reference book. Every time I'm, whenever I'm in a negotiation or whenever I'm have a deal in a contract and I'm communicating with the, the broker or the seller, it's, it's next to me. I'm, I'm like, oh, I got I like flip right to the chapter and, you know, it's a book this to is- highlight and to, exactly to refer back to, I agree hundred percent. It's a great book. Um, it's, I love reading it. Cause you're like, Oh, that, that totally makes sense, but you can't memorize all that stuff. Like you said, unless you probably go through his training and all that kind of stuff and spend a ton of time on it, become a master. But most of us don't have the time to do that. Um, or, you know, want to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah, But I have it, have it right next to me. If I'm writing an email, if I'm about to get on the phone call, I'll spend 10 minutes, you know, looking at my, looking at the notes or the highlights you said, or my tab pages, just to get my mind frame, right. And my, my, my tone, right. And everything like that. And, uh, it's not even a, it's millions of dollars. I've probably made off of that, that book, um, just through negotiation. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, how do you like to give back? Uh, give back. 
I'm trying to, so moving back to Michigan, um, or I've never lived here, but moving to Michigan has been, uh, kind of a, you know, new thing. Um, but with the franchise, I definitely want to give back to the community and me being here. So the last year I've been definitely reaching out to community organizations here. So the one I actually reached out to this week was, um, it was a STEM program in, uh, underserved communities. Um, so that one was called like Saginaw STEM. Um, so I reached out to them, uh, this week and asked them, how, how can I help out? So that's how I like to give back is things, uh, rather than just, you know, writing checks or, um, things like that, uh, things that I like, I'm a pilot. So aviation, uh, engineering type things. I went to Embry-Riddle, um, for, for college. So sharing kind of my passion with STEM related or aeronautics and things like that and flying planes, um, has been the way that I, I like to get back. So awesome. And be going to be going down there helping volunteer, you know, teaching, you know, basics of aeronautics and things like that, or maybe doing, you know, free flights in my plane with kids and stuff like that. That's cool. That's cool. Love it. Um, well, and you also have a podcast you give back there too. What's the, what's the podcast name? So the, uh, cash flow project podcast is, you know, our podcast and, um, you know, you can check us out there everywhere the podcasts are. And oh, I do have, um, our, our conference in Hawaii that we do every year. It's in, uh, I think we're doing it June 23. It's the, um, uh, the millionaires mindset conference. We do it on big Island, but yeah, no pitching, no, like we got nothing to sell. We got no deals to, we're trying to get investors for. Um, so my partner, Duran, definitely, uh, he, that's kind of his brainchild. Um, and uh, we're partnering up on that. So uh, Millionaire's Mindset Conference out in Hawaii is a lot of fun. That's cool. That's cool. And that, that's going to be in June, you said? Yep. June uh, 2023, Big Island, Hawaii. It's you know five-star resort. It's it's definitely nice. one of the conferences you kind of make a vacation. Yeah, stay in a couple sure. of extra days. Bring the family. Like I'm bringing my family. <laughs> my daughter um, would love to go there. <laughs> yeah. It, it's uh, it's it's. It's uh Moana Kai is the restaurant or not the restaurant, the, uh, the resort. So five-star resort right on the ocean. But like last year, 250 people or 280 people came this year. We're trying nice. to get around three, 350 people, but well, we'll I think that's good. The, you know, uh, we'll grab the link from you. We'll put that on the show notes. So our listeners can take a look at that and sign up. Um, all right. Last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Three pillars of wealth creation. Um, three pillars. So man, I wasn't ready. The, well, we talked about taking risks. So managing risk is, is a good one. Love it. Uh, so I like, I like managing risk. I like, um, the who, not how mm. mentality yes. is a, is a really good one. Um, you're not going to know everything and especially, uh, in this world. So definitely there's people out there that will love to tell you and teach you everything they know. Um, whether you have to pay for it or not, uh, we live in the information age. So who, not how will definitely shorten your, uh, your curve to wealth and then taking massive action is the big one that probably separates, you know, me and my, my kind of close group of friends that, uh, we're willing to take, you know, massive action towards the things we're passionate about. Yeah. Um, so take risk, manage risk, who, not how, and, and take massive action. Love them. Love them. Good, good pillars. Um, 
and I always like to throw people for a loop. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're caught off guard. Uh, Vince, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Learn about uh, what you got going on. So we are, um, so Tri-City Equity Group is uh, our company. So tricityequity.com. I'm on Facebook. It's probably the easiest way. Um, as, as we know, my LinkedIn is kind of outdated. So uh, I have to go update my LinkedIn, but I, I am on there. But probably uh, Facebook and our website are the easiest ways. Okay. So you heard him connect with him on LinkedIn. He's a big LinkedIn guy. Uh, we're going to, we're going to get you there. So I think everybody needs to connect with you on LinkedIn and uh, then you'll update your profile yep. and, and you'll, st- you'll start to become a LinkedIn guy. Cause that's, that's where it's at, man. I heard, right. I heard cool. I get there. Uh, really look, really appreciate your time. Uh, fun story, fun, fun chatting and, t- and catching up with you. So uh, you have a fantastic rest of the day, man. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you too. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.